Welcome to the teaching ministry of Providence Church. Our mission is to know, worship, and serve Jesus, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, so that He's honored and His reign is powerfully proclaimed in central Illinois and beyond for the generations to come. It's our prayer that this message is a blessing to you. Hebrews chapter 10. This morning I am going to be focusing on just one verse, verse 22. For context, I'm going to read verses 19 through 22. I'm going to ask that you would stand, please, for the hearing of God's Word. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, I pray that this day you would use this word. I pray, Father, that through the hearing of this word, you would open our eyes and our hearts, our wills to draw near to pursue You with all of our hearts, even as You have pursued us. Lord, I ask that You would stir us up to holy affections again for You. Revive again in us our first love. Lord, we ask that You would grant that we would see by the eyes of faith our Lord Jesus and that we would be drawn to Him, Lord, with holy affections and tender mercies. Lord, not this day only, but for all of our lives. I ask this in Jesus' most precious and holy name. Amen. You may be seated, brethren. When I was a kid, young, I had a... uh, we used to have at my grandmother's house down in South Texas. There's a few times a year, typically for us, it would be Christmas, Easter, Thanksgiving, Fourth of July, you know, the kind of the usuals, but where we would all converge on my grandmother's house, Grandma D, as we called her, for Dolores, but she just went by D. And. I remember distinctly as a child, you know, when I, when I was young, we, this gathering, and, and it, was, it was a joy to go, but I remember distinctly that we'd go to these, feast, these festal gatherings at my grandmother's house, and all the extended family would be there, the cousins, and, and I had a lot of cousins, and, and aunts and uncles, and they would all converge at my grandmother's house, and there would be food just everywhere. And my grandfather, who, who was a master, master barbecuer, there would be 
grilled chicken and grilled beef. And the scents would just be wafting, not only through the house, everywhere you went, but even outside, for as we were out playing on the playground, you could just smell it. And, and fresh-baked bread and butter, it was glorious. And, and, I, and I remember, you know, we, we, there was always this, it was, as much as I enjoyed those, you, you know, the, the kitchen was the center uh, of, the, of the house and where everything was taking place and all the food preparations. We all were anticipating the point where we would hear uh, Grandma D or whatever call and say, everybody come on in, and we would all converge. <laughs> because we knew that that was where the good stuff was. I enjoyed my cousins and playing ball with them and all that, but there was a meal in that kitchen, and I was just chomping at the bit for hours to get to it. Those smells were drawing me in. And what's interesting is at Grandma D's house, well, you know, she would sometimes have olives and stuff out that not not sweets, Necessarily that you could uh, you could have to satisfy your hunger a little bit while you waited. You all knew we all knew that you didn't dare try to go go in or sneak any of the mashed potatoes or you didn't go in and try to sneak any of the the pie or anything. Not because you maybe couldn't have gotten away with it because you probably could. But because those things would actually end up taking the edge off of that appetite I had for that chicken and that beef <laughs> for which I had been waiting and yearning. It was a holy meal. It was a joyful meal as a family. In the fellowship of family and friends. But the joy culminated in the coming together and going into that kitchen saying grace and then enjoying and feasting on the goodness that my grandmother had prepared and my grandfather prepared. And particularly the presence of my grandmother, because while most of my family were not believers, my beloved Grandma D was. I knew that she was an old saintly woman, but while she was soft-spoken, she was dear to my heart. Because I knew that for years and years and years she had prayed for me. And that the Lord uh, had used her. When I got into college, I was in Austin, Texas, and I had joined a little, uh, little Reformed Baptist church in Austin, Texas, while I was a student at the University of Texas. And what was interesting about that church was that Sundays and then Sunday afternoons, over meals and either at church or in people's houses. And then on Wednesday evenings, we had a Wednesday evening service there. I just remember that there was something akin to the sort of anticipation I had going into my grandmother's house with all that waited me there. And the same kind of anticipation I would have going to church, whether it was on Sunday or Wednesday. And I thought to myself, it's like, well, why was that? What was it that made me so eager at Dayspring Reformed Baptist Church? What was it that made me so eager week after week, Sundays and Wednesdays? I just couldn't wait to get there. I, I just couldn't wait. 
And it was interesting. You know, oftentimes on, on, on like on Wednesdays, I'd be at work beforehand. And because I knew I was going to be in the house of the Lord that evening and hearing God's word in the fellowship of the saints. I don't know. It seemed like in some ways I was almost more holy on Wednesdays. You know, there were sins that maybe didn't have as much of a hold on me because it's like I'm going into the house of the Lord. I'm getting ready to draw near. And week after week, my beloved pastor, Jackson Boyette, who's gone to be with the Lord now, but week after week, Sunday after Wednesday after Sunday after Wednesday, he would provide for us a feast on the Lord's word. That man helped us to see and savor Jesus. He helped me to love Jesus. He helped and he fed me the meat of God's word. And it was far better to me than anything even that my grandmother or my grandfather ever cooked. It was satisfying to my soul. And the sweet savor of God's word drew me in with anticipation on Sundays and Wednesdays. I remember I would just, I would clear other things out of my schedule and say no to things that I just didn't want to miss being at church. Not because there was any obligation, not because we got brownie points for it. They preached sovereign grace and, and, and salvation apart from works. But because I loved being with those people. And I loved being in the hearing of God's Word and having it just applied to my life and satisfying to my soul. You see, brothers and sisters, it is that type of drawing in which this text speaks today. The Lord is drawing us, brothers and sisters, with cords of love with the meat of His Word, with the sweet-smelling savor of our Lord Jesus Christ in all of His fullness and glory. It's my conviction that the Lord as a church is calling us at Providence out of our spiritual doldrums into earnest personal and corporate repentance and drawing near to Him maybe like we never have before. Particularly repentance... In cases and situations where we may have been those who have honored God with our lips. We've sang the songs of Zion, but our hearts have often been far from Him. I have known this myself. We're being called to delight ourselves once more in God as we once did. To return to the old path and the zeal for God and His covenant and His kingdom which we once had. To return to our first love, as the Lord called the church at Ephesus to do. The very life of our church, beloved, it is my belief, utterly depends on our response to God's call. We're told in Scripture that judgment begins at the house of God. Whether or not we individually and as a local church... Whether or not we return to our first love with a true heart and full assurance of faith will determine whether we thrive under God's blessing or ultimately whether we die under God's discipline. Having our candlestick, our light removed, lest we prove to be neither hot nor cold and ultimately be spit out of his mouth. Brothers and sisters, God is calling us to be definitively done 
with being comfort-seeking, entertainment-addicted, security-craving, approval-desiring Christians. And He's calling us to draw near to Him into His glory that we would be transformed as we look more and more and more on the face of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does this text tell us? Verse 22. It's just a simple command, really. Let us draw near with a true heart, full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The command, as we've seen by the previous verses, is a command to draw near into the holy place. Verse 19 said that we have boldness to enter into the holiest place by the blood of Jesus. Remember, that holy place was where the Ark of God's Covenant was. It was the place where the cherubim sat over the the mercy seat, over the throne of grace. It's a place of God's holy dwelling, His presence among His people. We're told to draw near into that holiest place, and we do it through the blood of Christ, through that new and living way which He consecrated through to us through His flesh. He is our high priest. So the command is simple enough. Draw near to God. Draw near in prayer. Draw near in seeking His face. Putting away the things that so easily beset us. Putting off the deeds of the old man, putting on the new. We know this. But let me ask, first of all, why? Why must we draw near to God in the Holy of Holies? Why is this call here? I want to suggest that we can get a a real simple snapshot of answers to that just by looking at a few instances of how this word for draw near is used in the book of Hebrews. It shows up a few other places. For example... The first thing we see in the book of Hebrews is that we must draw near to the Holy of Holies, to God there. One, because God has promised to give us mercy and give us grace in our time of need. Remember Hebrews 4.16 tells us, let us therefore come. It's that same word, draw near. Let us draw near boldly under the throne of grace. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So you have a sure promise from the Lord that when you seek His face, when we call upon Him, we will find Him, as Jeremiah 29 said, you recall in our verse reflection today. said that He knows the thoughts that He has toward us, thoughts of peace. Not of evil to give us an expected end. That's what Hebrews is saying. Draw near because God will give you mercy and grace in your time of need. Secondly, we're to draw near to God in the holy place because God is able and He is very willing to save and deliver us to the uttermost when we do. Hebrews 7 verse 25. Wherefore, He is able also to save them to the uttermost that come, that draw near. Same word that draw near unto God by him, seeing that he ever liveth to make intercession for them. So there's a promise when we draw near and we say, Lord, I will seek your face. With all my heart. The promise is that God is able, he is willing to save and deliver us to the uttermost. He is able to meet us there. That's a great promise. 
Because Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us in the holy place of the heavenly tabernacle, which we are entering by faith. Thirdly, we must draw near to God in the holy place because God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him with their whole heart. Hebrews 11, verse 6, you know this verse. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that draws near, he that cometh, same word, he that draws near to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So if we say to Him, Lord God, I will set my heart by Your grace to turn my face towards Zion to pursue You, to put away the things that are hindering me, to look at my time and say, what is hindering me from time with You in the holy place? What is it that's keeping me from spending more consistent time with You in prayer? And we have a promise here that He will reward those diligently who seek Him. Remember our Lord Jesus says, in Matthew 6, that when we pray, go into that inner room. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. What a promise. Fourthly, we are called to draw near to God in the Holy of Holies because of the surpassing value, the surpassing glory of the heavenly city and inheritance which He has for us. Hebrews 12, verse 18, 22 to 24. Listen how this word of draw near is used there. It said, verse 18, For ye are not come, you have not drawn near unto the mount that might be touched, that might be burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest. Speaking there of the children of Israel at Mount Sinai in Exodus 19. And the fear of the Lord and, and the command not so much as to even come and touch the edge of the mountain lest you be struck down. And the tremblings and quakings and the fire. You have not come there. No, rather, verse 22, but ye have drawn near. You have come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly in the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. What an incentive to draw near. By faith, wherever I am, to ascend that holy hill into the presence of the Lord, into the true tabernacle which Jesus cleansed with His own blood, where Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father as our high priest ever living to make intercession, and into that innumerable company of angels and the saints. That's where we go when we draw near in faith and prayer, and we seek His face individually and corporately. We're also called to draw near to the Holy of Holies because the opposite, drawing back, Scripture tells us, leads to perdition. Again, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38 and 39. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, it's the opposite again of drawing near. If any man draws back, refuses to pursue God with a whole heart, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. 
But we are not of them that draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe unto the saving of the soul. You see what he's saying, beloved brothers and sisters. We are called to draw near to the Lord with a true heart, not in word or in pretense, but with all as living sacrifices, wholly consecrated to the Lord. Finally, we're called to draw near to God in the Holy of Holies. And I'd say this is the best incentive of all. is because the glorious God Himself in all of His manifold perfections and all sufficiency for every spiritual, emotional, and physical need, both in this life, this age, and in the one to come. That God is the Gospel. And He is the good news. Remember Moses on Exodus 33, standing there on the mountain. What was his call to the Lord? Would you please show me your glory? And whereas in the Old Covenant, the Lord said, I cannot show my whole glory to you. You die. He says, I will nevertheless make my goodness, my glory to pass beside you. Moses was hit in the cleft of the rock. He saw only the Lord's, only the hindquarters of the Lord. But the Lord pronounced over him, the Lord, the Lord, the blessed God, full of mercy and compassion, keeping covenant for thousand generations of them that love him and fear his commandments, but visiting the iniquities of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of them that despise me. Moses comes down and his face is radiant so much that they have to have him cover his face. But in the New Covenant, in the Lord Jesus Christ, we read these words from the Apostle Paul. But we all, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, but we all, with open face, when you, when you hear that, think of the words we've been hearing in Hebrews, through the veil, through the veil which is his blood, through His body, into the Holy of Holies, we all now, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are being changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. We're seeing the living God as we draw near. He goes on in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, verse 16, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our momentary light afflictions, which are brought for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Brothers, the reason we are called to draw into the Holy of Holies, to draw near, is because that's where God is. And because our God is the good news. One pastor I was reading recently put it this way. All the saving events and all the saving blessings of the gospel are simply means of getting obstacles out of the way so that we might know and enjoy God more, most fully. Propitiation, redemption, forgiveness, imputation, sanctification, liberation, healing, heaven. None of these is good news except for one reason. It's because they bring us to God for our everlasting enjoyment of Him. If we believe all of these things have happened to us, but we don't embrace them for the sake of getting to God, 
And if God is not our aim in having those things, then we might need to ask if they have happened to us. Christ did not die to forgive sinners so that they would go on treasuring anything and everything above seeing and savoring God for who He is and all of His majesty and glory and goodness. People who tell me, who would tell me that they would be perfectly happy in heaven regardless of whether the triune God, whether or not they could see the face of their Lord Jesus, make me to wonder if they really understand at all what the point is. The gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. It is a way to get people to God. It's a way of overcoming every obstacle to everlasting joy in God. This is the center of the gospel. This is what the Garden of Gethsemane and the Good Friday are all about. Remember, we read about Jesus' transfiguration today. Simply this, that God has done astonishing and costly things to draw us near. He has sent His Son to suffer and to die so that through Him we might draw near. It's all so that we might draw near. And all of this is for our joy and for His glory. God doesn't need any of us. If we stay away, He is not impoverished. He does not need us in order to be happy in the fellowship of the Trinity. But He magnifies His mercy by giving us free access through His Son in spite of our sin. Giving us free access to the one reality that can satisfy us completely and forever. Namely, Himself. That's why Psalm 1611 says, In thy presence is fullness of joy, and at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. I want to ask us then, brothers and sisters, by point of application, given that the Lord has been drawing us with cords of love, given all of the incentives and the grace that has been given to us, What are the things that are keeping us from drawing near? What glory enthralls us more? What glow, what light? The glow of our TV, our phones, or the glow of God's glory in the inner place of His holy tabernacle? I've had to ask myself that. I've had to begin to make some changes. Why do the passing pleasures of sin still have such a great stranglehold on us? And the answer is that they must be overcome by the expulsive power of a greater affection. One which is continually burning with the oil of the Spirit being poured out from the holy place into our hearts. Furthermore, why don't we see more answers to prayer? We say, why don't we see God move more? I take the words of my Lord Jesus when He says in John fifteen seven, If ye abide in Me, and My words abide in you. So there's your conditions. If ye are abiding near to Me, drawing near to Me, day by day, seeking My face, and My words are abiding in you, 
Ye shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Brothers and sisters, I, don't, I really just want to take that verse at face value. No ifs, ands, or but, but this, that Jesus says if we abide in Him and His Word abideth in us, we will ask and He will answer. We must draw near and abide in Christ. We must walk in the light as He is in the light. We will have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse us from all sin. What a glorious promise, 1 John 1. Secondly and lastly, I've told you why we must draw near. Let me just ask you, secondly, how do you draw near? Given the simple command, let us draw near. How do you do that? Well, there's four conditions he lists out here in this text. Number one, he says, let us draw near with a true or a sincere heart, as the word means. A heart without pretense, with a true, a sincere, earnest heart. A heart that hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Because remember Jesus, Matthew 5, says that such a heart that hungers and thirsts for righteousness will be filled. When he talks about a true, a sincere, a pure heart, you also remember our words of our Lord Jesus right after that. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall... See God. They shall. That doesn't mean we will see him with our eyes. We will see him on the last day in glory. First John three. We know that when we when he comes, we will be like him for we shall see him as he is. But we will see him now. Raise your hand if you hunger to see God working now. I do. I want to see evidence of God's Spirit working in power like we've been talking about in Corinthians. The kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. I will see the mighty works of God. I will see God answering prayer. We'll see more of the sort of things He's just done for our brother Daniel. But I must come before Him with a true, sincere, pure heart. Holding nothing back. Remembering the gospel that my heavenly father has held nothing back in his heart from me. He calls me to come to him with a true and pure heart because he has come to me with all of his heart in his Lord in our Lord Jesus Christ. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for me. And for you, so that I might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Though He were rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, so that you through His poverty might become rich. Secondly, we must draw near, He says here, with fullness or full assurance of faith. The idea here is the means with unwavering confidence, with certain confidence in the faithfulness of God to keep his covenant and his promises to us in Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
This is a fullness of faith in which God leaves no room for doubt. Remember James 1, verse 6 says, But let him ask in faith, nothing doubting, for he that doubts is like a, a double-minded man, unstable in all those ways. This is, the, this is the faith that says, God said it. And that settles it. And I believe it. He has made promises to me. He is faithful. He has sworn on no less of an authority than himself who cannot lie that he will fulfill the promise made to Father Abraham. And he has given me faith and drawn me near and caused me to believe. How will he then not all the more give me all things in Christ? And keep me unto His everlasting glory. So I come into my... As I draw near to the Lord in full assurance of faith that He will meet me there because He promised. Because He is able and willing to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I have asked or thought. Because my Father has told me that He has given me His Spirit which cries out, that Spirit of adoption. That the Spirit perfects my prayers with groanings too deep for words, I cannot fail when I draw near because God is true, though every man be a liar. Thirdly, we're called to draw near, he says, with a heart that is cleansed of a guilty conscience. Notice the way he puts that there. Having your heart sprinkled from an evil conscience. This is a heart that's been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus. It's prepared to make the conscience pure. You remember in the Old Testament, the Jewish cleansing or sprinkling with blood of the priest related to the things which were external. Hebrews 9 verse 9 has already told us that that sprinkling, that washing could not make the conscience perfect toward God. But the sacrifice offered by this Savior, that once for all sacrifice was designed to give us peace to the troubled mind and to make it pure and holy. It was designed to give us the ability to believe that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That having been justified by faith, we have and always shall have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. An evil conscience is a consciousness of evil or a conscience that's oppressed with sin. It's a conscience that accuses us of guilt. We need to remember that the accuser of the brethren has been cast down. We need to remember that in Zechariah 3, when Satan came to accuse Zechariah, that the Lord rebuked him and cast him behind This is one that was a brand plucked out of the fire. The fact is, is that if you're in Christ today, you have been made free from a guilty conscience through the atonement of Jesus. Not because we become convinced that we have not committed sin. Or that we no longer do any sin. First John 1, 8 and 10 tells us that. But rather... It's because we are led by faith to understand that our sins are less 
Nor is it because we are led to believe that our sins are less than they otherwise were supposed. The fact is, often that's not the case. But rather, we are called to have a clean conscience, brothers and sisters, because of the truth that our sins are forgiven. By faith, believing that the blood of Jesus, that precious blood, is able and has forever cleansed you from all iniquities, past, present, and future. And because you are freely pardoned, you don't need to any longer fear death. You don't need to fear the accusations of the evil one. That's why you can go into your closet and when you have that conscience of your guilt of sin, you can say, yes, yes, I have sinned. Probably far worse than I realize. But my Lord Jesus has made me clean. Period. End of discussion. Enough said. And you rest there. Now, if you're harboring a sin that you know, the Bible says that if we harbor sin in our heart, God will not hear us. But you go in and say, Lord, cleanse my heart. Wash me and make me clean like we read in Psalm 51. Look into my heart. But first, John tells us, brothers and sisters, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence before God. And we know that we have the things asked of Him. So brothers and sisters, you rest on Jesus. You let the Spirit search your conscience and then you draw near in boldness of faith. Lastly, he says here, having bodies washed with pure water of baptism, or pure waters, I argue as I believe this is, speaking of baptism, I think it's very fitting that we had one today, don't you think? Of course, typologically, this refers to the laver of pure water which the priest had to wash in before engaging their priestly duties as they approached God into the holy place, into the uh, inner court. And so as it was in the Jewish dispensation, so it is now perfected once for all for us in the Christian dispensation. Baptism was a public act also in this and this, and it was this publicity from which these Jewish Christians to whom are being written here were drawing back. You remember that the problem these Hebrew Christians were having was that they were drawing back. They had once, according to the end of chapter 10, they had once allowed themselves to be plundered. They had once suffered for Jesus' sake. They had once gladly allowed themselves to be robbed for Jesus' sake, to suffer for his sake. But now that the heat was getting turned up, Instead of drawing near to the heavenly tabernacle through the true high priest into the true holy of holies, suddenly the one that was still standing, this was before A.D. 70, the, the, the tabernacle in Jerusalem and the earthly priesthood was suddenly looking very tempting. Maybe, maybe we can cover our Christianity. We can continue to be covert Christians. But, you know, just just go to the synagogues and worship with the Jews. Hey, we all worship Yahweh, right? But minimize the offense of the cross. 
He's reminding them that the waters of baptism with which they were baptized are the waters by which God Himself had set them apart and set them apart from the unbelieving Jews. Baptism is a public act. Remember 1 Peter 3.21 says that the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. And he clarifies, not simply the putting away of the filth of the flesh. In other words, it's not simply getting, it's not simply getting water on your flesh that purifies you. As if I could go home and step in the shower and plead the triune name of God and be clean. But it is baptism as an act of God because it gives the answer of a good conscience toward God, he says, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So baptism does accomplish something, not by magic, but by the power of the Spirit of God working through it. And I have a good conscience and I can say that I have been baptized. I have crossed the Rubicon. I have decided manwardly to follow Jesus. And I have shown that by taking Christian baptism, which publicly sets me apart and says, I'm not part of them anymore. I'm part of God's people now. So manwardly, baptism is a public declaration that we are united to Christ, that our sins are remitted, that we died with Christ and are raised with Him into the newness of life, that our new lives are now hidden in Christ, in God. It's a declaration that you have counted the cost and decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Because we have seen the surpassing value of Christ and we have esteemed Him worth more to us than all the passing pleasures of sin or of the world, or the allurements of the devil. But Godwardly, baptism is a work of God. It's a sure sign and seal of the reality of the covenant of grace. It's a declaration from God that you have been washed by Him, that you have been bought with a price, that you are not your own, but you belong to God now. It's a sign of the new covenant and of all the benefits associated with it. That ye are a chosen generation. Ye are the royal priesthood. You are the holy nation. You are the peculiar people. That ye should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Which in, one, in times past were not a people. But that you now are the very people of God. That you once had not obtained mercy. But now you have obtained mercy. Amen. So what do you need to do? This I close. You say, Brother Steve, I want to draw near. Here's some tangible things. Number one. What are you thinking about? Scripture says to us, If then ye have been raised up with Christ, set your minds on things above, not on the things of this earth. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Whatsoever things then are pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, praiseworthy, true, think on, meditate on these things. 
Maybe time that we say, I need to clean my house with some things that I'm allowing myself to think on. That I'm allowing myself to meditate on. Because these things are clouding my vision of the purity of Christ. They're causing my heart not to yearn after Him. i got to get rid of them. What are the things that we're hearing? Drawing near to God means committing ourselves by God's grace to the hearing of His Word. Not just hearing, but meditating on it, thinking about it. Faith cometh by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. Are you sitting, saints, daily? Are you hearing the Word of God, whether you're reading it or listening to it read? But is it in your heart and is it in your mind? Thy word have I hid in thy heart, my heart, that I might not sin against thee. It may involve repentance to draw near. I remember the words of James chapter 4. It's a very parallel passage. But I want, let me just read this. I want you to hear this. Again, these are Jewish Christians he's writing to who are seeping back into worldliness. But hear what he says. James 4, verse 7 through 10. Therefore, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. What a promise. Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. Sound like what he's been talking about in Hebrews with pure heart, true heart. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he himself will lift you up. What a promise. Maybe there's things today you say, Brother Steve, I know I've got some repentance to do. I've been a half-hearted or quarter-hearted Christian for some time. I've been playing games with God, but I know I need to get all on board. Because I know that He is all on board with me. That God is all in toward me. And I want to have a whole heart towards Him. You want to draw near to God, I would encourage you to take small steps this week. By God's grace to grow in persisting in daily prayer. And guys, this doesn't mean we have to spend an hour or two in the closet every day. That's great if we do. I'm not there. I'm not. But I have asked the Lord at the beginning of 2018, I have asked us, Lord, I said, Lord, I want to abide with you more. Jesus says that if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, you will bear much fruit. And I want to be fruitful for the Lord. So, brothers and sisters, the call is to abide with Him in His Word every day, even if it's just a few minutes. Lord, I'm going to find that place in my closet or wherever it is. I'm going to go and seek You there. And I'm going to pour out my heart to You because I know You're there hearing. And You'll meet me there. And lastly, drawing near simply means, again, that we say with sincerity of heart, brothers and sisters, Wholehearted consecration. Wholehearted consecration. It's reminded of the words of Hebrews 12. Let me give these to you again. With this we close. Hebrews 12. Simply says this. 
Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and those sins which so easily ensnare us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. There's your hope. He who began the good work in you will be faithful to complete it to the day of Christ Jesus. So run the race. Run hard. Run fast. Run well. With all your heart. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And he has now sat down at the right hand. The glory of God, the majesty on high. Brothers and sisters, we have great, great and precious promises laid out to you and me. When we, with a whole heart, say, Lord, I'm going to draw near to you. You can find, brothers and sisters, that the Lord will be faithful to his word. That when you do that, he will draw near to you, too. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, I thank You for Your Word. Lord, I ask that You would grant us the faith to believe and lean into this simple command to draw near. Lord, we by nature have a fear of drawing near and to the unknown. Our temptation and our flesh is to not draw near because we're not sure what that means. We're not sure what that means you'll do with us. We're, we're not sure what taking the hands off the steering wheel of our lives and saying, Lord Jesus, you drive, you lead. We're afraid of what that might mean. Lord, I know that the glory and the joy that awaits us in your inner sanctuary in sweet communion and fellowship with God, both individually and corporately as we draw near in prayer, and in holy worship, that that joy, insurpassable and unexpressible and full of glory, Father, I know that that is something worth living and dying for. Give us the grace, Father, to put aside the sins that so easily ensnare us, to take stock of our lives, and to lay everything on the altar in holy pursuit of You. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.